Chapter Seven of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Seven. Morton's Womenkind. The drawing-room at Tangley Manor was as handsome and as interesting as any room can be which has not been mellowed and sanctified by the passage of centuries. It was a spacious and lofty room, with a noble bay on one side and three long French windows on the other. There was a fireplace at each end, the white marble mantelpieces low and broad, giving ample space for the display of some exquisite specimens of modern Sèvres, chosen by Geoffrey Blake during one of his holiday visits to Paris a city which had possessed peculiar interest for his active and inquiring mind. The furniture was in perfect taste, light in form and delicate in colour, simple as befitted a room that was designed rather for daily usage than for stately receptions. There were dwarf bookcases between the windows and on each side of the fireplace, water-coloured drawings on the wall, ferns and flowers wherever space could be found for them. The room wore its most cheerful aspect to-night when Morton entered it, after his lonely walk by field and lane and common. Wood fires burned brightly in the two grates. Large moderator lamps with coloured shades gave a warm yet subdued light. Four ladies were seated near the fireplace at the further end of the room, in various attitudes and variously employed. The middle-aged lady, sitting in a low, wide armchair with a lamp and work-basket on the gypsy table before her, was Walter Blake's maiden sister Dorothy, better known in that house as Aunt Dora, the head of the household, respected and beloved by every member of the family, from Morton to the newest comer in the shape of a chubby-cheeked scullery maid or a fortnight-old kitten. She was one of those women whose beauty in youth is open to question but who are undeniably handsome in later life. As a girl Dorothy Blake's face had lacked colour and brightness, her manners had been wanting in animation. Girls with homelier features and more vivid complexions had been admired, where Dorothy's pale and interesting countenance passed unnoticed. But at forty-five Miss Blake's clearly chiselled features and delicate complexion, her slim and graceful figure, made her remarkable among middle-aged women. Her hair had grown grey before she was six-and-twenty. It had not bleached suddenly in a single night, but within one year of that night of horror on which Walter Blake's corpse was carried home to Tangley Manor, his sister's dark brown hair had changed to grey. It was now of a silvery hue, which harmonised exquisitely with the pale fair skin and soft hazel eyes. Aunt Dora's gowns always fitted to perfection and were always in the fashion yet she never wore a garment unbefitting her years. She was not the kind of woman to encase herself in a boating jersey, because the fashion-book told her that jerseys were universally worn. The young people of her acquaintance looked up to her as an authority on dress and manners, the arbiter of taste. She loved all beautiful things, pretty girls, delicate colours, flowers wild and exotic, ferns, hedgerow or hothouse, handsome furniture, rich dress, thoroughbred horses. She had tastes wide enough to embrace all the delights of life, yet was not self-indulgent. She would leave the cosy chair beside the Gothic fireplace in her luxurious morning-room to walk three or four miles through muddy lanes in the vilest weather, 
if by so doing she could give comfort to the afflicted in mind or body she was the friend and adviser of all the wives mothers and daughters in the parish on a corner of the fender stool in front of the fireplace sat morton's eldest sister clementine otherwise tiny a delicately fashioned girl who seemed never to have grown out of childhood and who was a perpetual outrage to horatia her strong-minded younger sister a tall plump well-filled-out young woman who looked just as many years too old as tiny looked too young for her age the sisters were curiously different in character taste and personal appearance yet they contrived to be on excellent terms with each other and only quarrelled in sport horatia was playing at chess with a girl who seemed younger than either of morton's sisters a girl with soft grey eyes rippling brown hair and features with no special claim to beauty save that the rosy mobile lips were lovely in form and expression and the teeth perfect in shape and colour this last was a young lady about whom daleshire society troubled itself very little she was rarely included in those invitations to garden parties and afternoon dances which were sent to the daughters of the house she was known to be a humble dependent upon miss blake a girl of obscure birth whom that lady had adopted fifteen years ago an altogether estimable young person in her proper sphere that sphere being of course one of usefulness and not of ornament a girl born to carry comforts to the sick and poor and whom one would be surprised to meet in the lanes or on the common without a basket on her arm a girl who would be expected to like walking in wet weather and always to wear thick boots and short petticoats to be expert in every branch of decorative art from the fitting up of a baby basket to the arrangement of a dinner table a girl who would be a marvel of handiness in all those small duties that make up the preparation for a grand party who would work like a slave till the last moment before the arrival of the guests and who would not feel the faintest desire to mingle with the festive throng this was the kind of thing which daleshire society expected from elizabeth hardman of whose birth and connections it was only vaguely stated that she belonged to factory people at blackford and ought in the common course of events herself to be making steel pens or brass buttons society as represented by mrs aspinall of the towers looked with a disapproving eye on aunt dora's adoption of the orphan these things never turn out well for anybody concerned said mrs aspinall with her superior air as if she had been by when the foundations of the earth were laid and had seen the stars marshalled into their places that girl will be a thorn in dorothy blake's side before we are many years older meanwhile elizabeth hardman was happy enough though she was left out of everybody's lawn parties and only knew what an afternoon dance was like from tiny's vivid description she was not a girl of wide ambitions her highest aspiration at present was to please aunt dora and she was as entirely happy trudging over the common with a well-filled basket on her arm as she would have been at the finest assembly in daleshire aunt dora and the three girls looked up as morton entered all surprised at his return how early you are exclaimed tiny throwing herself back against the marble pillar of the chimney-piece 
and stretching out her pretty little feet for the easier contemplation of a pair of picturesque buckled shoes and black silk stockings did the spooning process seem a little flat this evening we seldom see you till past eleven when you've been dining at fairview i have not dined at fairview oh then where have you been dining child asked horatia with her practical manner it must have been a very dull dinner or you would hardly have come away so early if you don't want to be ignominiously checkmate in three more moves lizzie you'd better put a little more intention into your playing added the younger miss blake severely lizzie hardman detested chess and all other games of skill or chance but had to play anything and everything when the miss blakes wanted an adversary she was a capital person to play against as she invariably lost the game just now her senses had fled from the board altogether scared by that pale set look in morton's face which indicated trouble of some kind aunt dora was occupied with her knitting and had only murmured a friendly welcome tiny was still gazing at her shoe buckles and thinking how nice it was to be born with a high instep horatia was absorbed in a profound scheme for checkmating her weak antagonist in three moves i haven't dined at all said morton dropping into a chair near his aunt i've had some business to look after not dined cried aunt dora oh, ring the bell tiny your brother must have some dinner there was pheasant sent away untouched if you were to have that after a little soup morton dear auntie don't worry yourself about pheasants and soups said her nephew with a wearied air i am rather tired but i've no appetite for dinner i'll take a crust and a glass of wine presently tiny withdrew her gaze from her shoes to contemplate humanity in the uninteresting form of a brother they were very pretty eyes blue and bright and smiling like sunshiny weather you've quarrelled with dulcie she exclaimed nothing less than that will explain your dilapidated condition dulcie and i are not given to quarrelling answered her brother curtly what do you never fight desperately in order to make friends again asked tiny i thought that was one of the symptoms of spooning clementine your slang and flippancy are becoming more insufferable every hour remarked horatia with her fingers hovering above a bishop will you give me five minutes in your own room aunt dora asked morton in a low voice miss blake laid down her knitting instantly and rose to comply with his request morton how white you're looking she exclaimed something's happened yes something has happened oh nothing that concerns dulcie aunt dora was very fond of morton's sweetheart no dearest auntie dulcie is right enough horatia and clementine now began to perceive that something was amiss tiny rose from her low seat horatia left the game unfinished morton you are unnecessarily mysterious and alarming she said disapprovingly has anything dreadful happened is anybody ill is anybody dead has the daleshire bank broken none of these things has happened aunt dora will tell you all by and by answered morton gravely the event which has come to pass to-night is something which ought to make us all glad but it revives the sorrow of years gone by 
you know what anniversary this is i wish i didn't exclaimed tiny i've been trying industriously to forget it all day i never try to forget said horatia i consider it a duty to remember it is a small thing for us to give our dead father some of our thoughts on this day aunt dora's soft brown eyes were full of tears she put her hand in morton's and went with him out of the room and across the wide tessellated hall to her pretty nest at the back of the house the fire burned low on the tiled hearth there was a moderator lamp on the table which morton lighted before he sat down the room was the brightest and prettiest in the house here as in the drawing-room there were books and flowers and water-coloured pictures and old china but here everything had a peculiar grace and interesting individuality there were indications of a life at once artistic and industrious a drawing-board with an unfinished flower-study on the table in the window a large beehive work-basket in a corner by the hearth one little table devoted to account-books and commonplace details of housekeeping another to aunt dora's favourite poets and philosophers from chaucer to tennyson from erasmus to de quincey of all the pictures in the room there was one which caught the stranger's eye and arrested it it was a portrait in water-colour which hung above the chimney-piece the half-length figure of a man in the prime of life a frank handsome face bright blue eyes crispy curling auburn hair a broad forehead a candid mouth a face supremely attractive and lovable suggestive of an existence that had never been shadowed by grief or care a soul untainted by one base thought this was the portrait of walter blake painted two years before his death at a time when he had recovered from the moderate amount of sorrow which he had felt for the loss of a somewhat uninteresting wife never passionately loved the picture had been painted as a birthday gift for the sister who worshipped him it was the only likeness for which walter blake had ever consented to sit morton looked up at the picture as he took his seat beside the hearth never had the face seemed so lifelike tell me what has happened morton said dora blake anxiously but in no wise shaken from that abiding tranquillity which was her greatest charm it is something that concerns my brother's death is it not some discovery has been made yes uh, there has been a discovery and an important one my father's murderer has given himself up to justice he will sleep to-night in high clear jail dorothea's pale face blanched to a death-like whiteness great heaven she exclaimed who, who is the man all her calmness was gone her lips trembled so much that she could hardly form the words she wanted to speak a wretched creature a half-starved tramp more like a wolf than a man oh thank god exclaimed dorothea thank god echoed morton i do with all my heart thank god that retribution has come at last that we shall have blood for blood a poor compensation for who could set such a creature's existence against my father's valuable life we are all of the same value in the sight of our heavenly father morton answered aunt dora in her grave sweet tones in his sight we are all sinners i am sorry for this unhappy creature whom remorse has driven to confess his crime sorry 
"'Sorry for the man who killed your brother?' cried Morton indignantly. "'That may be Christianity, but it is a kind of Christianity I do not understand.' "'I am sorry for his sin, and for the shameful death he will have to die.' "'And I am glad, heartily glad, savagely glad, if you like, Aunt Dora. I loved my father too well to be capable of this high-flown humanity of yours.' I shall go to see the man hanged if the authorities will let me, and I shall feel happier when I see the drop fall and know that this one merciless villain has gone to his doom. Had he any mercy upon me when he killed my father? All our passions are merciless, Morton, answered his aunt, whose face and manner had recovered their customary repose. God, who sees and understands all our evil propensities, alone knows how short the distance is between innocence and crime. This unhappy wretch may have been goaded by miseries that neither you nor I can understand. We who have so many advantages and yet are so prone to fall, ought to be merciful to the outcasts who have never known the light. Morton rose impatiently and began to pace the room, just as he had paced Dulcie's room a few hours before. "'I cannot understand you,' he said. "'You seem to have no memory. Do you forget how my father's blood-bespattered corpse was brought home to this house? I was only ten years old, yet the feeling of that night, with all its horror and agony, are as vividly in my mind as if it were yesterday. I begin to think that no one loved my father as well as I did.' "'I loved him.' answered Aunt Dora quietly. You may believe that. I loved him as few brothers are loved. What would I not have done for him? What sacrifice would I have thought too great? My poor boy, you do not know what you are talking about. Oh, forgive me, dear auntie. I know you're all goodness. But I'm angry tonight with everyone who doesn't feel this as deeply as I do. I was angry with Dulcie, with Sir Everard. "'With Sir Everard?' exclaimed Aunt Dora. "'Does he know?' "'It was to him the wretch declared his crime.' "'How did Sir Everard take the revelation?' "'With provoking coolness. "'He seemed to think the man an impostor, "'accusing himself of a crime he had not committed.' "'Such things have happened,' said his aunt thoughtfully. "'Well, possibly, but this is no case of false accusation.' The man was neither drunk nor mad, a brute, but a brute in the full possession of such senses as are given to brutes. Thank God he is in jail, hard and fast by this time. There will be a trial. His crime will be brought home to him, and he will swing for it. Surely you must be glad of that, Aunt Dora? She shook her head with a mournful gesture, and looked at Morton with eyes full of tears. Will my dear brother rest any easier in his grave because of his murderer's doom? Will it make the thoughts of that cruel death, so awful, so sudden, a strong man cut down in his pride of manhood, full of thoughts and desire that belong to this world, with no time allowed him for one prayer, one act of faith and love? Will that memory be any easier to bear, Morton? because the wretch who did the deed shall have paid the price of his crime? No, my dear boy, there is no satisfaction to me in the idea of human retribution. 
Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I have never doubted that my brother's murderer would be punished for his crime. But do you not see in this event of to-night the finger of providence? Here is a wretch so goaded by remorse that he is driven to seek death as a relief from the burden of his sin. Oh, there must be some remnant of good in the man, said Aunt Dora musingly. Even for him there may be pardon if his repentance is sincere. You would pray for him and with him, I suppose, said her nephew with a sneer. I would, Morton, she answered quietly, and then seeing his angry look, she went up to him and laid her hand gently on his shoulder, such a pretty, slender hand, as delicate as a girl's. Dear boy, you and I see things with different eyes. You are young and I am old. Time alone can teach the lesson of forbearance and patience under great injuries. And now, dear Morton, go and eat your supper, and try to get a good night's rest. You look worn and weary already, and you will have much excitement and anxiety to go through before this terrible business is finished. Good night, dear boy. Tell your sisters I shall not come back to the drawing-room. Shall I tell them what has happened? Uh, not to-night. I will tell them to-morrow. Let them rest in peace to-night. And so Dora Blake dismissed her nephew, and then went back to the hearth above which the dead man's picture hung. What a frank, bright face it was, smiling down at her, full of the joy and pride of life. Oh, great heaven, to see it thus, and to remember the ghastly face she had looked upon twenty years ago, the clotted hair, the lifeless form, bemired with duckweed and clay, just as it had been dragged out of the ditch where the murderer had flung it. Dora Blake covered her face with her hands, as if to shut out the dreadful image which memory recalled so vividly. She sank shuddering into her chair by the fireside, and gave full vent to the passionate grief she had repressed in Morton's presence. He had thought her cold and wanting in love for his dead father. His opinion would have been curiously different if he could have seen her now, the tears rolling down her pale cheeks, her slender form convulsed with sobs. She grew calm at last, and lay back in her chair, exhausted, gazing dreamily at the low fire. Oh, thank God it is not as I thought, she said to herself. Anything is better than that. Presently she rose and unlocked an escritoire in which she kept all the sacred documents of her life, her diary, valued letters, mementos of lost friends, all the story of the past, a history which she alone could decipher. She opened a drawer and took out a packet of letters tied with a yellow ribbon, and from beneath the letters a crimson Morocco miniature case. She came back to her chair by the fire and sat some minutes in a reverie, with the case and the packet lying in her lap. Then with a sigh she drew the lamp nearer to her and opened the miniature case. A Parisian photographer had given all the vividness of life to one of the fairest faces that ever challenged his skill. It was a perfect face, lovely alike in feature and expression, smiling, yet with a look of latent sadness, gentle, pleading, the face of a woman born to love and to be beloved, rather than to dazzle or command, assuredly not the face of a coquette, yet hardly the highest type of womanhood. There was a faint suggestion of weakness in the sensitive lips, the small dimpled chin, 
it was a countenance of childlike innocence and purity but with no promise of the grander virtues heroism fortitude self-denial dora blake sat gazing long at the lovely image lost in a dream of the past how well i could have loved her poor child she sighed how happy we all might have been if fate had so willed then rousing herself from sad regretful thoughts she untied the yellow ribbon and looked slowly through the packet of letters they were in a woman's hand a small and delicate writing with many a sentence underlined as if to give intensity to words which in themselves were passionate miss blake only looked at a page here and there a line a phrase sighing as she read what vehement eager life there had been in the writer of those words how heart and mind had gone with the hand and yet within a year the hand had been dust the passionate heart had been still for ever oh it's too sad a story said miss blake as she rearranged the packet and tied the yellow ribbon round those faded letters the history of a broken heart she replaced the packet and the photograph in her drawer and locked the escritoire presently there came a gentle tap at the door come in said miss blake a little vexed at being disturbed the door was opened quietly and lizzie hardman peeped in may i come in for a few minutes auntie just to say a word or two oh is it you child oh yes you may come i don't mind you lizzie crept softly to aunt dora's side and put her arm round her neck and kissed her without a word everybody was fond of aunt dora but her nieces used to protest that lizzie's affectation was absurd in its demonstrative devotion yet lizzie hardman was by no means demonstrative in any other relation of life her love for her benefactress seemed the one only warm feeling in her nature oh she's extremely obliging and will fetch and carry for us like a dog and put up with our tempers in the sweetest way said horatia but in spite of her sweetness i don't believe she cares a straw for clementine or me her idolatry of auntie is absolutely preposterous i don't see that horry answered tiny aunt dora is such a delicious creature nobody can help loving her oh yet aunt dora might wear damp boots for a whole evening before you would run to fetch her slippers retorted horatia with some justice for tiny's weak point was selfishness well lizzie what do you want asked miss blake after she had submitted to the girl's kiss i know something has happened i was afraid you might be unhappy morton looks so pale so terribly excited oh auntie is it anything very dreadful anything that will lead to unhappiness he said we ought all to be glad but his own manner was so strange how anxious you are about morton and about you said lizzie you've been crying i can see that let me go to your room with you auntie dear and read you to sleep i know you'll be giving way to sad memories if i don't well you shall come with me if you like lizzie a few pages of tennyson or browning will be more soothing than my thoughts don't ask me any questions you'll hear everything to-morrow i can wait answered lizzie have the girls gone to bed yes half an hour ago morton had a little supper in the dining-room 
very little it was a mere pretence of eating and then he went up to his room he looks dreadfully ill he has had a shock oh poor fellow but it's nothing about miss courtenay oh no no she is unconcerned in the business oh that's a blessing said lizzie as they went slowly up the broad staircase to the lofty modern-looking corridor from which the bedrooms opened End of chapter 7